I'm Justin. And, and this, this is, is Comicsverse. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Comicsverse podcast. Uh, if you're listening to us, you might know, but in case you don't, you can find us online at comicsverse.com, on Twitter at Comicsverse, Facebook, Comicsverse, also Tumblr, Comicsverse, and YouTube. And we have reviews and all kinds of fun things for you to check out, including this really excellent podcast, which you are now listening to. This is another installment of our Interns Takeover series. And today we will be discussing Bitch Planet. Uh, and that was Jamie's choice. And Jamie, would you like to tell us a bit about why you chose Bitch Planet? I would love to. I'm so glad that I have a fellow bitch on the podcast yeah. with me to talk all about it. Just a couple of non-compliant types. <laughs> NCs up in here. If you haven't read this, then this is going to mean nothing to you. But if you have, you probably really enjoy it. But I wanted to do Bitch Planet because it was kind of the comic that got me back into comics. Um, And so what Bitch Planet is all about is it's set in the not-so-distant future. Um, And in this future, if you are a bad woman... You get sent to, there's like a technical name for it. And it's like, I want to say it's the Auxiliary Compliance Outpost, ACO, but it's called Bitch Planet. And so if you break the law by perhaps being extremely fat or just being really, really loud and boisterous and not demure, you get sent away to Bitch Planet. And our lovely protagonist is Cam, and she is an athletic, strong woman who we don't quite know why she's on Bitch Planet yet because it's so new. Um, But she gets sent there, and she kind of is getting caught up in this big patriarchal conspiracy. Yeah, so that's kind of like the basic gist of Bitch Planet. And I just love it because it's angry, and it's crazy, and it's like, it's a fucking intense time, I think is the best way to describe it. Yeah. fucking crazy. (laughs) Do you want to weigh in, Brian? I think Jamie hit the nail right on the head just about what the book is. But it's interesting that you said about it being angry. And um, I know we're all big Kelly Sue DeConnick fans here, especially me and Jamie. And um, actually, like in preparation for this podcast, I was just going through and reading some interviews and whatever. And I found it very interesting. I read an interview with Kelly Sue from back when Bitch Planet launched. Like it was around issue one. And she said something to the regards of um, she got into the angry place to start writing it by thinking about all the terrible things that people had said about other things that she's written. Like, I would assume specifically referencing Captain Marvel and all the yeah. controversy you can find about that in certain corners of assholes. I mean, the internet. Um, <laughs> and I, d- I just found that really interesting, like, to know that she's tapping into her own real anger to write such an angry book. Yeah, no, I think that's totally true. Because I think I read that interview. And yeah, she was, I think it was great because it kind of, like, I feel like when I hear her talk about it, she's like, People are like, why are you writing like this really feminist, cool comic book? And she's like, I'm fucking done. Like, she's like, because I am over it, which I love. Like, I feel like you can feel it too. Like, when you read it, like, there's never, it's never, um, because there is a place for calm discussion of feminism where you're like, we need to negotiate the issues. But this book is not negotiating the issue. Like, this book is like, this is the fucking issue, and I'm done. Yeah. So, uh, one of the, most obvious things that strikes you when you're looking at first at the covers and then it's immediately clear from the stories is that Bitch Planet is sort of playing with the exploitation genre and that feeds into what we're saying about how intense it is. Um, So uh, especially subsection of stories focused on lesbianism and sexual assault in women's prisons. Uh, How do we think Bitch Planet uses this genre to its advantage when we say it's subversive? I would definitely say I think it's subversive. Because, like, even, I think that whenever I talk about it, my always first inclination is to bring up Orange is the New Black, which is also a show that I like. But I don't think it's, it's not the same, the thing is, it's the same because it's women in prison, but it's not the same in other ways. Because 
I feel like, especially like um, with the scene, I think it's the fourth issue where there's a scene of like women in the shower hooking up right. and it's not really about like them hooking up in the shower. It's more about them like doing that to be able to like either like be lesbians or to talk about important issues that they don't think that like, like no one's watching when they're doing that. And I feel like that's a great way to like take something that usually happens in a movie or a book and say like, instead of using that as like just a scene for you to see the women hooking up who are like, really hot, like this is a scene that's like part of the plot or even like Penny Roll is so violent and strong like nobody can push penny roll around yeah. like you're never like sitting here like oh no like, it's not like when you watch game of thrones and you're like oh no she's cute and nice and doesn't have a lot of personality they're probably gonna rape her soon like <laughs> to add something to her arc like there's never a fear like sexual assault is an important issue but it's not used cavalierly i think which i think is subversive like i think that's the strongest thing about it yeah any thoughts brian no, I mean, I think Jamie hit it pretty much on yeah. the head. I hate to keep saying that. But <laughs> I'm just I mean, amazing. I, uh, obviously, you've thought a lot about it. Yeah. You know, I, I think you hit it on the head as far as it being a subversion of mm-hmm. tropes. And I wouldn't even say that it's not even, it subverts the tropes, but it doesn't actively subvert the tropes within the narrative mm-hmm. where, you know, occasionally you read something that subverts a trope. So it's very actively subverting a trope. It's almost making a joke of the trope. Bitch Planet's not making a joke of the trope. It's there. It's happening. But it's happening seriously. And it's happening for a reason. Yeah. Mm, good point. And it's yeah. only treated as a trope because we as the readers are aware that it's a trope. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. I think the I love the covers and the way they work with like old exploitation movie posters. There's a, a pizzeria, uh, two boots downtown. They have a bunch of like old uh, female exploitation movie posters on the wall. And the women are all dressed scantily, but they're also sort of rad, like, you know, lesbian biker gang from hell or whatever. And it's it's such a, a weird like intersection of this opportunity for women to work and be badass, but also obviously performing for like a male audience. Mm-hmm. And I think the question of like, taking the story that is often performed for men and then reframing it so that it's for women is something that is always in the minds of the creators who are working on Bitch Planet. And it's great that we also get their essays in the uh, the back mm-hmm. like about what they were working on at the time. Yeah, I love the essays. And I think that even like the title, like the naming it Bitch Planet, like it's like everything is like seriously about reclaiming something. Like every, like the, one of my favorite things is on every front page on the page where it has your little recap, it always has like a, a clearly like feminine flip off. Yeah. And it's like, I think that's just like, I like it. What I like about it, it's clearly subversive. And it's like, if you don't, it, it, you're never going to be like, I'm not certain if I would like this. Like, it's like very clear from the front. It's like, this is how it's going to be. Like, if you're not into like the title of Bitch Planet and like the recap with the flipping off the finger, like you probably shouldn't read it. Like, yeah. you're not going to enjoy that. And it's interesting just as far as the exploitation films go and as far as, you know, taking something back, you know, I've read, again, interviews with Deconic and whatever and discussing how, you know, she she has compared it to like 60s and 70s women in prison movies. Yeah. And it's interesting because, you know, not to get off the topic of Bitch Planet as a comic, but um, if you do like any kind of research into exploitation films, whether a lot of times, even though they were blatantly exploitation films and we look back on them now and say that they're exploitation films and how insulting they were and not that I'm defending the content at all. But it's interesting if you ever read like testimonials of people who were watching them at the time, they knew they were exploitation films, but they 
were also still the only films where they could see, like in this instance, women of in power and tough yeah. and no, you know, breaking all kinds of norms. So it's interesting to kind of, like you said, reclaiming that and taking that back. Mm-hmm. It kind of reminds me of uh, like even like lesbian pulp fiction, where it's like we know that it's not perfect, but like it's like almost your. It's like somebody who loved that stuff has like their point of view on it as like a feminist point of view. It's kind of like it's always been there, but it was clearly not. It was from like a more patriarchal point of view. And it was like, we're going to do the same thing that I love, but we're going to do it from a place of power. Yeah. So another example of this comic sort of flipping expectations uh, is that the first comic is sort of tricky uh, and fakes out who we think the protagonist is. Like we expect it to be one person, then turns out to be another. Um, Did you guys have that reaction to it that you were kind of faked out and then do you think it's it's sort of obvious but like is it important that we have a physically strong black female protagonist i don't know if brian wants to go first i feel like i always go first and i'm like taking all the big points (laughs) well um as far like the first time i read the first issue uh, this is kind of a non-answer i guess i was kind of somewhere in between being faked out and not being faked out i didn't expect it to end the way it did i didn't expect it to be a full fake out But just knowing what I knew about the series and the writer going into it, I didn't think that that was going to be our protagonist. Mm -hmm. I thought that she was going to get to Bitch Planet and we were going to kind of meet the protagonist there. Right. I didn't necessarily think it was going to end the way it did. Yeah. For me, I think it probably worked a little better than it did for you. But I think for me, it was kind of like... It worked great for me. I I don't mean to say that it didn't. Yeah, I was because like, for me, I think I figured it was her. Like I thought it was the Marion young woman, but I thought that they were gonna do. Uh, I was like, oh, she's like not strong. Like, they're gonna like she's gonna grow. Like, I figured I was like, oh, like she's been wronged, and like she's gonna grow, and then it's gonna be like Quentin Tarantino redemption fiction. Right. That's kind of that's almost what I meant. I don't mean to cut yeah. you off, but just yeah. kind of what I was expecting was not that I didn't think she was gonna be the protagonist, but I was expecting kind of her to arrive and like another protagonist would come and kind of take her under her wing Mm -hmm. and it would kind of be like they were the co-protagonists and one was showing the others the ropes of prison or whatever yeah no i think that especially with the scene like where kind of like cam's like who are you and like i'm here to help you for me like i was shocked that she was i mean spoiler i was shocked that she got shanked like i yeah i did not expect that like i was like crap i mean i think i really loved the first issue because i heard like a description of the book before i read it um they like mentioned it on some npr thing i listened to because i'm the kind of person that listens to npr and he was like oh it's super great like it's this like reclaiming of the exploitation genre so i didn't know anything about the protagonists or how important they were mm-hmm. so for me it was like a complete shock and then it kind of ends and then of course when it ended with her with cam being our protagonist i was like oh that's way better like i was like i'm yeah. so glad they didn't do the other thing yeah i was also kind of surprised too because i think with something like this like the way orange is the new black works like our protagonist is sort of She's sort of faultless. Like, usually you identify with the person who's really, like, innocent in these kinds of scenarios. And then, like, through them, you learn to understand the perspective of the people who are, are more guilty and less, like, perfect characters. And it's it's always, like, a question with feminism in real life. Like, the people who are being persecuted aren't always perfect people. Like, especially with sexual assault, you'll always say like, well, she was slutty in this other instance. And so she's not like the perfect victim, quote unquote. And so often with protagonists in these sort of like shady uh, moral situations, our protagonist is like the perfect victim. And so I was sort of expecting to be stuck with this, you know, white lady who had been wronged, like like mm-hmm. you guys were saying, like as she learned more from other people. And so for her to be like totally 
killed, I think is really exciting because we're going to now have more full characters to learn about and to identify with as we go on. Yeah, exactly. And as far as race plays into it, I remember I, I, I was and it plays into kind of what you said just now but i think and i think it was there was a review of bitch planet number one and off the top of my head i want to say it was on the mary sue mm-hmm. but i'm not 100 percent sure and kind of like the tagline of the review at the end was um would you like to watch orange is the new black but without the lily white lead mm-hmm. and yeah. i thought that was kind of an interesting i thought that was interesting and i liked it like i loved the turn in the first issue yeah no, for me, it really, like, got me going because it kind of had – because I expected, like – I was like, Piper from Orange is the New Black. I was like, oh, like, she, like, was from – because there's also that really great fake out kind of with her ex-husband describing, like, oh, she's, like, not supposed to – like, this is wrong. And so you think it's about her. And then you realize, oh, it's about, like, the woman he, like, wanted to marry after or, like, the mistress. And it's not about her. And you're like, wow, fuck you. You're, like, the world's <laughs> worst person. So, like, I think from then you're like, oh, well, that's her flaw. Like, she's been wronged. Like, now she has to, like, redeem herself. Yeah, and it feels like it's, like, redeem herself, get back to Earth, like, fix the world type thing. And then it's like, no, that's, like, a boring or just a new black story. Right. Like, we're gonna do, like, the real story. Yeah, I feel, I think for some reason, for me, it felt more real. And also, especially if they have those S's at the back um, that are always really great. I think it was important, um, and I'm sure Kelly Sue probably felt this way too, that like white feminism gets under a lot of flack because it's like Orange is the New Black has like a white female protagonist and or, like Tina Fey has a lot of like white female protagonists. So it's like all these feminist shows are just about like white female problems. So I think it was really like a great decision to like not have it just be another like privileged white female is put in difficult situation and like learns about diversity. Yeah. So we we talked about this a little bit before, but uh, it's worth going into more. And also, like, our perspective won't be like everyone. So uh, Kelly Sue DeConnick has said that this comic came from a place of anger. Is that anger productive or does it turn off readers? Uh, Is the concept of being an angry female feminist challenged in the comic itself? I'll take the lead here, I guess, because I'm the male on the panel. Like, I may have (laughs) a different point of view. I liked it. Yeah. Like, I... You know, this is such a loaded word and it shouldn't be, but I consider myself a feminist. You know, Ryan's a feminist. (laughs) And, you know, and as far as it boils, you know, solely to discussing comics, I want more female characters. I read a lot of books with female characters. In a lot of ways, I prefer female characters. And not from some sexually charged gays way. I, I just do. Like anyone who reads my reviews on Comicsverse, you know, that there's a common theme to the titles that I read every month. And if you look at what I like most, generally my highest grades go to books like Batgirl or Gotham Academy, Spider-Gwen, Miss Marvel with female leads. And it's not that I'm pushing an agenda, which I've been accused of. I, those are just the books I like. And to me... As much as I love characters like that, and as much as I love, you know, more female protagonists just as the norm, quote unquote, it was very refreshing to me to read an angry feminist book, kind of, you know, I think in a meta sense, taking to task a little bit what the comics industry is like. Yeah. And what the comics industry's view of female protagonists is like. And what comic fan expectation of female protagonists is like. So I, I liked it. And. Yeah. Yeah, I think kind of going off of what Brian was saying, I think that like there's a part of me that just loves it because I think that if like even like Brian saying like I like you get accused of pushing an agenda, like if you've ever been accused of like being too angry over an issue, even if it's not a say a feminist issue, I feel like you can relate to like that kind of portrayal because you're like sometimes it's okay. It's nice that it's saying like validating like sometimes it's okay to be really angry in these situations because it's extremely angry. And then of course you raise it to like, 
almost metaphorical level of like I'm in a literally another planet, like in prison for doing the things that I do. So like for me, the anger, it's like, it's, it's a refreshing thing. And I also think even, um, I remember I went to go see Margaret Bennett who does a force and also did Angela Asgard's assassin. And she was talking about like having a trans character. And she was saying like, when I used to write the script, I would try to use the word trans and they would like strike that out. And like, that made me really angry. And everyone on that panel was extremely angry. And so I think that it's kind of like, even though you want to have, it's important to have a comic about, oh, like women as all superheroes is the norm. It's also important to have some sort of outlet for people who are angry to be like, it's okay for me to be angry. Like that is a very valid emotion. And I think it's healthy and it's probably healthier to read about it sometimes than it is to like get into charged discussions all the time. Yeah. And it's cool that Kelly Sue DeConnick did this because like she's she's already made a name for herself writing female centric comics. And it's kind of it's a, a risk on her part, I think like she so she's successful. So it's less risky for her than it would be for someone who is like relatively new to the field. But she she didn't have to take an angry route. And I think she does probably risk alienating some people like they're uh, I don't know, maybe this is a, a loaded thing to say, but it seems like there's that element of the Carol core that's like really adamant about having their hero look the way that she does. And she like they're working with different kinds of characters in this book and especially the angry perspective to like not be apologetic about saying, hey, patriarchy ruins people's lives. Um, it's still like a kind of risky thing to do. I, I think it shows also range in terms of the kinds of stories that she tells. Mm -hmm. Agreed. I also think it's, you know, this is like a cliche thing to say and it sounds like I'm kissing up to KSD, but I think it's also a, it's a brave move on her part to stake her reputation, but I'm sure she did it thinking that if she, with her industry clout, could make this book and make this book sell, maybe more voices trying to say the same thing who don't have the luxury of having written Captain Marvel for the last two and a half years and not having had a Supergirl run and not being a huge name in the mainstream comics industry, maybe they'll get a chance to write something in the same vein because as has been sadly shown time and time again with what publishers no matter the size from marvel dc to any indie publisher what they'll care about is sales so if something like this sells they'll make more of it yeah yeah true so uh to go back to how patriarchy sucks the women of bitch planet are powerful but they're still stuck inside a system which is shaming them uh are our protagonists victims survivors or heroes or some other fourth option I don't know if this is an answer to that question, uh -huh. but it's kind of something that, like I said, I guess I looked into it in a very meta way because I jumped off on that interview of her talking about flowing her anger into it. There was a part of me that wondered when I was reading it, like taking that kind of vein, like this concept of powerful women, but in the end, they're still literally a prisoner and a prisoner of the system. And part of me kind of wondered if that was... Obviously, obviously, it's a commentary on society in general. But from a comic standpoint, you know, uh, Kelly Sue DeConnick is one of these names like a Gail Simone that is kind of just thrown around by people who talk about how, see, that there are women in yeah. comics. There are more women in comics. Look at Kelly Sue DeConnick writing Captain Marvel. But the numbers just don't reflect reality. And, and the truth is, female creators, I truly believe, don't get the same shot as male creators and don't get the same shot at telling the same kind of stories as male creators. And I kind of... and. Again, maybe I'm reading way too much into author intent here, but I kind of wondered if there was a little subtle thought of that. Like, KSD's tremendously successful 
in comics, tremendously successful with Captain Marvel, and not to diminish Captain Marvel at all, because I love that series, and I love Carol Danvers as Captain Marvel, and I love the way she's written that character. But when it comes down to it, it's still she's still there as the female character. And Kelly Kelly Sue DeConnick, the female writer, writing the female character. But it's not like there's been an onslaught of female creators in the wake of that book. Right. So I don't know. Maybe I, maybe I just read too much into it. I think that's a valid No, I like that. Yeah. I think that, like, to even bring it back to the question, I think that it implies that, like, maybe I wouldn't... Because I would, at first inclination, I want to say, I feel like the characters in the, the story are heroes. But it might even be a more meta narrative to say that they're, like, survivors of the system. Like, it's like she's, like... It, it's, like, implying, like... For example, if you wanted to say... Like, Cam was a stand-in for Kelly Sue, and this is about her life in some way. You could say that, like, Cam is a survivor of a system and is constantly fighting to continue. And I think that even talking to other creators, like, at Special Edition, even, like, talking to Valentina Landro about this book or anything, they're all super excited about it. Mm-hmm. And they're like, I'm just glad that I could do anything like this at all. Like, it's not necessarily, like, I like it's like, I'm glad that the industry is pushing this way, but it's kind of the problem of... Like you were saying before, like, oh, well, Kelly Sue's our female writer or Gail Simone. It's like kind of the problem of like, oh, our work is done. Like we have a major Marvel series or we have a major DC series. It's really popular and it's done by this person. And it's kind of like they want to just keep doing the same thing. And I'm like, no, like use that and this excuse to like make more books. Right. Almost like they're like a real life token character. Right. Yeah. They kind of like get placed in the like, oh, no, we have. Oh, I we have female characters in comics. This kind of relates to, I was saying, um, when I was at Special Edition, this was the funniest thing to me. There was, like, of course, the men's bathroom and the female bathroom. And the female bathroom had, like, no line. Yeah. And there was a huge line for this men's bathroom. And this guy was complaining to, like, someone that worked there, and it was a woman. And he was like, why is there, like, such a long line for the men's bathroom? And, like, no line for the women's bathroom. Like, men don't have to wait for the bathroom. And the woman that worked there kind of just looked at him, and she was like, well, you should think about that for a second, <laughs> maybe. So I think that even though it's, like, making strides, and I love this book, it's frustrating. I think. And I think that's exactly why she wrote it. So it might be like more apt to say the characters are survivors because they're survivors in the system. Like the system's not broken down. But I guess, of course, there's more to come. So who knows what's going to happen? They could become like the complete subversion of patriarchy and overthrow everything. Who knows? (laughs) Sue, um, also to return to a previous scene that we mentioned, the uh, lesbian shower scene in the fourth issue was the most difficult for Sally DeConnick and Valentine DeLandro to nail. Um, DeConnick said they had to do three passes at the scene, uh, which is what forced the issue to come out late. Uh, So do we think that the scene worked as a subversion that they hoped for? And uh, were three passes worth the end result? I think it was worth it, but I do remember because I because I, I like wrote that question because I yeah. read an interview where she said, or it, actually I think it's at the end of the issue, but she's like, well, it took us so long to get it out because we had to keep doing passes at the scene, and so I reread the scene like today before the thing, and I realized kind of what she was doing because it like kind of because there's like two shower scenes, so there's one the first scene where like they're having the kind of secret conference and it's not very porny, I guess, or like not very male gaze. Like there's not a lot shown, but like you clearly know like what they're supposed to be doing. And then like the later scene is like really porny um, with Cam like masturbating in the shower. But then she uses that to like, grab the guard and like make fun of his penis, which is a fun scene. Always a fun scene. <laughs> so I think that it's not necessarily the lesbian shower scene that makes it work. I think it's the second scene yeah. later on. Because for me, I didn't really notice anything, which I guess is a good thing. Like, I didn't notice it as creepy or pervy until later on when they have the later scene. But I will say, now thinking about it, I think that, weirdly enough, if you're going to compare it to Orange is the New Black, I think that Orange is the New Black does have more of like that kind of male gazy stuff with that than 
Bitch Planet does. So I think that in some ways, even though I didn't notice it at first, like knowing that the scene means more to me because I realized, oh, that's the way to like show someone's sexuality perhaps without like completely objectifying them down to like lesbian lovers who are good for men to watch. Yeah. I mean, I, I didn't give the scene much thought and I don't mean that in a negative way. Mm-hmm. I mean it as a compliment to the scene that when I read the book, I just read the scene as the scene. And in the back of my head, I thought, okay, they're playing with the trope, obviously. Like they play, like this book has been playing with tropes since the beginning. But I didn't sit and put an absurd amount of thought into, is this porny? Is this the male gaze? Is this appropriate? Is it inappropriate? To me, it was just a sensical part of the narrative. And I yeah, think I to think me that, that's a testament that. to how well it fits. In fact, I didn't think there was anything sensual about the scene at all. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Because for me, I think that was like, in a way, what I think that was, I guess, like what she was aiming to get from it, which is why they had to keep doing the passes. Yeah, because I think that, because I remember um, at the end, because I remember they do these little things at the end of the issue where they're like, next issue, like lesbian shower scene. And so they did say like, next issue, lesbian shower scene. So like, even though they had to have it. So then she's like, oh, well, now that I have to have it, I have to like figure out how to do it in a not creepy way, which I think is impressive. But for some reason, it's not like a thinker. Like when you read it, you're not like, oh, I should like have a deep subversive thought about what this needs. And it's also, it's a very flat, very realistically drawn scene. Mm -hmm. It's not over accentuating any body parts to be pornographic or salacious, nor is it, you know, hiding anything with shower mist or some other kind of like Mm -hmm. cheap trick that would make you go oh they're going out of their way not to show it it's just a scene occurring in the book as everything else has occurred in the book as every as everything has occurred in that reality yeah i definitely agree with both of you and that the the second scene with just cam is really like way more affecting than the quote-unquote lesbian shower scene and i think it was probably worth the work to make something that like for a long time that's the that's the freckles scene right yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) like ever since the britney spears madonna kiss on the mtv video awards like any kind of lesbian interaction has been like a sweeps week gimmick and it's hard not to like think about that as like a a mechanism you can use to make the story be exciting and that first scene just definitely isn't and it, it was really when i was reading it what i was wondering was like how cam would react like if they were going to do like a super sex positive thing and she would sort of go along with it or if she would be like really not into it and like it seemed like she just went along with it enough in order to do what she needed to get done and get the information that she needed and that I thought that was a choice that I was impressed with because uh, I thought that it like just it didn't betray her character in any way in order to do something more like perfect or more exciting for the story. I I thought that, yeah, it was keeping to the character that had been established already. Yeah. And like even thinking about sex positivity, because we were talking about X-Men earlier today, spoiling the process, but we were talking about X-Men and we were talking about Emma Frost. And I always think people talk about Emma Frost and they're like, yeah, she's like super strong, like sex positive. And like, that is like technically an aspect of her character, but like the way she's drawn is like very, like if you like you can always recognize that kind of stuff now, like when you, after especially being exposed to that. Like it's like she's sex positive, but like she's always like naked and like breasts out, and or even like any woman in a comic book, you're like, why are you like always have your breasts out? I'm like, I love sex positivity. Like everyone should have all the sex as a woman, but like I'm not always walking around with a perfect body and like my boobs out all the time. It's not realistic. So I think that like especially like the scene with Cam at the end where she's doing it for like that guy to get that catch him. Mm-hmm. Like it makes it very clear that there are different types 
of like ways to approach, I guess, sex and like who it's for. Yeah. Okay. Okay. We are back and we have lost um, my favorite bitch, Kathy, but we have our like surrogate bitch, Brian, still. I'm an adopted bitch. <laughs> he is he is definitely an adopted and honorary bitch for the rest of this podcast. So let's get back to Bitch Planet. Um, so the kind of the tagline is set in the not so distant future. And when I asked Valentine Delandre about it, he kind of like smirked at the idea of like it being the future. Because of course, all science fiction is a good metaphor for what happens in our own world. So I kind of wanted to get your perspective, Brian, on how different is Bitch Planet? Because I kind of think it's, of course, it's like always metaphorical, but I think in some ways it's even like extremely like the same. I kind of see it as as extreme reality. Yeah, it's like, it's it's like operatic almost. Right, it's an extremely symbolic commentary on patriarchy. I mean, how much bigger of a commentary on it can you get than women who don't do what we say, we send to their own planet? Like, it's a straight out commentary just on the concept of, you know, a male dominated world and a male dominated gaze. And that even, and I guess this kind of goes back to what we talked about in the earlier segment in a way, that even women who are looked at as strong within the system are still in that system of patriarchy. And it's almost they're strong, but they're playing that role of strength within a system that really they have no strength it it can appear to be a facade sometimes Mm -hmm. and i think that one of the things i think because there are some things that are clearly like metaphorical operatic like women who are bad are in prison by the men and then there is stuff like in the interactions that i think are really real like there's that one panel at the beginning of i want to say the second or third issue where it's like this funny kind of like big conversation about the game and then they show like this woman walking through a door and this guy like slaps her on the ass and then she just like walks away which is like very real to like life for a woman or or in my experience at least not to speak to every woman's experience or there's my one of my favorite scenes is the one between penny and the teacher in the third issue where the teacher kind of pulls her aside and she's like why are you so loud and such a problem and then she's commenting on Penny rolls like curly, kinky black hair. And she's like, why do you have to make yourself such a problem for everyone? Like, why are you so angry? Why don't you just calm down? And I think it's very real that like other women, especially like white women in this case, can like police each other to be a part of the patriarchy. It's very clear that it's systematic, like systematic oppression, not only by literal oppression by maybe the men, but also subliminal like side oppression happening, like between like cattiness between women, I guess would be a great way to put it. Right. And then even just the literal, and again, I I read like a lot of big metatextual things into stuff sometimes. Just so many, you know, the concept of shipping off non-conformed women to another planet, you know, to me, it, it can also be a commentary just on the amount of people who anytime there's a feminist issue or a quote unquote feminist controversy, they push it aside. They ignore it. They, they just, they pretend it's not happening as if it's happening on another planet. Yeah, true. Oh, I love that. I've actually never thought of that. That's so good. Yeah, it's like, let's just ship off all that stupid feminist stuff to like another place. Yeah, so you literally don't have to look at it. Right, uh-huh. kind of like just slide the problem away and hope it goes away. Mm-hmm. That's the scene, the scene you were just talking about. That's the scene where uh, there's a there's a line in there about um, how you always act like you're in your father's eyes or you're in the father's eyes or something like that, oh, right? Oh, right, right. Like the father's gaze type thing. Yeah. Okay, so the scene that Brian was talking about, we just pulled it up. And what's great about that scene is there's this line. Um, it's between like the white. They call her mother. She calls the, like her her honorific is mother. Um, and Penny's in trouble, 
And Penny says to the mother, why folks got to say what I am, mother, ain't it enough to know who I am? And then she responds, no, Penny, it doesn't work like that. You need to learn to see yourself through the father's eyes. And I will teach you, Penny. I will teach you if it kills us both. Right, Which is probably the most explicit statement of like male gaze that has never been. It's like so clear, which I love. No, I, I think that's great. I mean, like I was saying earlier, I love how blunt this book is. And I think that's kind of a thing for me, too. I always I always like it when I see something that's like science fiction. That's pretty like a blatant metaphor. I always like it when you like I think good science fiction is usually like an entire world that is built and it's blatantly metaphorical. Exactly. Like I'm a big Star Trek fan. So I love that re sci fi. And actually with this page, because I pulled it up as well. I love that the background is pink. Mm-hmm. I love her creepy mother outfit because she's kind of wearing um, like a it looks like a kind of business outfit, but it's a halter top like button down shirt with a tight pencil skirt. And she's got perfect retro waves, which I guess yeah. is a be- good way to segue into I want to talk about. And also one, one other thing about this. Yeah, Just go for it. Outside of like the third panel on the page. So I don't know. Again, I look heavily into things. Maybe it's not symbolic, but I do think it's interesting that especially when she says the line we were talking about through the father's eyes line, her back is to quote unquote camera. Her back is to the reader's eye. So we don't see her face. We don't see her as an individual as much as she's just a representation of the system overall. Right. No, true. And I was just going to say, because I think this is a great, because of her visual representation, I think this is a great scene to talk about the retro art style that Valentin Delandro has. Because I think it, I mean, I want to, Brian, what do you, why do you think that they went with the retro style? Well, I, I don't know if this is necessarily why they went with a retro style, but I think that his style is very, for lack of a better term, and I, I can't think of something more, I know this is a bit of a cliche way to put it. It's a very real style. Mm-hmm. And again, this is a very real book. These yes. are not over-sexualized caricatures. And just generally what's happening in the book is very real and, like we've discussed, very quote-unquote realistic as far as the bad things that happen. And I, I think that it's the perfect style for it. I also think it's really interesting to have this book that's, you know, taking this exploitation motif and using it to deal with very real, very modern age gender issues and then doing it in this bright colorful and credit to the colorists as well this bright colorful kind of rounded off retro style that if people just saw a panel like probably not the lesbian shower panel but you know (laughs) a a normal panel from this book without any dialogue they might think that oh that's a that's a cute looking sci-fi story from like the 60s and i i think that's again a very cool way to kind of play with tropes and not only we were talking about exploitation tropes earlier, but tropes within the comic industry of what art on a quote unquote dark, gritty, realistic story can look like. Mm-hmm. No, I think you're right because I think it is very real, but I think that it is smart to have it in the retro style because even as you're saying that, I'm thinking of like, what would I think if, for example, I, there weren't words to the comic and I just saw it and I just saw the art and I would think, oh, it's like those kind of cute 50s housewives and they had like their, like it was like kind of they rolled out like the perfect, everything was like blue and pink and powdered and they were perfect in the kitchen and everything was like tight at the waist, kind of voluptuous, like rolled out curls. And it's very much taking the way that, like debatably the way that men were portraying women in that time and saying like, we're going to take that way and we're going to use it to tell a story that's from a very strong feminist point of view. It's all, it's like all in a way, uh, reclaiming or a subversion. And also I'm looking at the panel even more because now that you've gotten me looking at the symbols, I realize that she has in the same panel we were talking about before, she has Greek letters 
in one panel on her thing. It's a Z-O-V, Z- like Zeta Omega something. And then she also has a picture of her and her husband. On the wall, yeah. On the wall, which I, mean, I love. I even noticed it right down to her haircut. She's mm-hmm. got the real housewife bob thing going on. And it's even, you can even think about, it even reminds me of her outfit. reminds me even of like an internalized virgin horror complex, like the front it's all the way buttoned up to the top, but the back has like literally almost nothing because it's a halter top. Ah, oh, so smart, <laughs> so wise. Uh, okay. No, I agree fully for what it's worth. Oh, and do you want to talk about the non-compliant tattoos? Definitely, because I I think okay. that's a really cool element of this book. Yeah. So Brian, um, explain the non-compliant tattoos. Well, um, for those of you out there who are on Twitter, which, by the way, you should be following us on Twitter. I have a personal stake in that if you do. At Comicsverse. At Comicsverse. Check us out. We post a lot of cool stuff. (laughs) But no, if you follow Kelly Sue DeConnick on Twitter, which I would also recommend, I'm going to call her friend of Comicsverse, Kelly Sue DeConnick, because she has retweeted like a couple of our reviews and stuff, so. Yeah, that counts. But in all seriousness, if you follow her on Twitter and she'll, she's almost always retweeting, there are a lot of people getting the NC non-compliant tattoo, which is obviously a major, um, major theme in the book that it's, it's tattooed on women who are shipped off to Bitch Planet. And I, I think that that's a really cool thing and, and a testament to the fact that this book does matter. And this yeah. book speaking with an angry voice about what's happening to women and you know, trust me, you do not have to be a woman to appreciate this book. You know, I'm sorry if I like make my own agenda here. But (laughs) I think that if you are a person who feels that women do not get their due in this world, or really, if you are a member of any minority that does not get its due in this world, this is a book for you to read. This is a this is a book for you. And I think that the fact that people are going out and getting this tattooed on their bodies, which is a for life thing, that is a real commitment. And I think that that is a great testament that even if this book is never the number one or even if it's not in the top 100 selling comic books, it's making a difference to people. And even if it's such a small portion, if there's a portion of that audience that is so enamored with this book that they're getting it tattooed maybe they are so enamored that they're gonna go out and write a comic or a movie or a song or or whatever expressing this anger and again charging forward and like i said before i think that not that i want to put words in her mouth or anything but i'm sure that that would be something that kelly sue DeConnick, that valentine delandra that the whole team behind this book would want that this is empowering people to go and make their own statement yeah no i totally agree and i think that especially with the non-compliant tattoos i remember um, I think Kelly Sue DeConnick responded to the tattoos and she wasn't in one of her endnotes, but she wasn't responding to the tattoos. She was responding to people who were like, oh my God, I can't believe you'd be so stupid to get that tattoo. Like this series like just started running. Like you don't even know if it's going to have an, imp- like, it'll be impactful. Like you're going to look so dumb if you have like this tattoo that someone's going to know. And she responded to it and she was kind of like, I'm happy that you're mad about that. If you're mad about that, because that's a dumb reason be mad because exactly what you're saying it's like people are taking the words of the comic and they're using it to empower themselves like it's actually one of the most probably literal examples ever of a comic empowering a group of people like to a level like that's physical and especially when it's about women and it can be about women's bodies in many senses it's like i am taking my body and i am non-compliant like it falls into so many narratives that they haven't even explored in the book yet but it can mean to you like all of them if you put them on your body exactly and, and like to me that that's a great thing. Like like I said, I can't express how happy I am that this book exists. Let alone the fact that it's a great book. 
yeah, like for me, honestly, I don't even, I've always considered getting a tattoo. And like, if I was like, what would my first tattoo have to be? Like, that would be a great choice. Like out of all the dumb ideas you could have for a tattoo, like an NC tattoo. I remember actually, um, Valentin Delandro posted, like somebody came up to his booth at special edition and they were wearing like the prisoner suit from bitch planet. And they had like an NC tattoo. So, I mean, if you wanted, if you wanted to not do it for altruistic reasons, if you want to get famous around Kelly Sudaconic, you should get an NC tattoo. <laughs> She'll probably retweet it. <laughs> But Brian, do you have any other last thoughts, final words? My final words would be, even though I'm sure if you've sat through this podcast, you probably have already. (laughs) But if you haven't read Bitch Planet, read Bitch Planet. If you've read Bitch Planet in some way that means you haven't had to pay for it, go pay for it so that it'll keep being made. If you've bought the single issues, go buy the trade. Like Support this book because this book and books like this are important and do matter. I totally agree. Go out, spend those dollars, spend your $4 an issue. Come on, you can do it. But that wraps up our analysis of Bitch Planet on this podcast. Remember to go to our website and check out I Have a Lovely, or at least I think it's pretty decent, video review and analysis of Bitch Planet on comicsverse.com. You also check us out on Facebook, of course, facebook.com slash comicverse, Twitter at comicsverse, Tumblr at comicsverse.tumblr.com, and YouTube at youtube.com. We're also on Instagram. Oh, youtube.com slash comicsverse TV and then instagram.com slash comicsverse. Okay, great. Um, and also we have just revamped the way we do videos. Um, our new intern, Kay Honda, has a lovely analysis coming of Emma Frost. So if you love Emma Frost, who we mentioned on the podcast, so it's really related, go check it out. We also have our new intern, Chris, who will be dissecting Master of Kung Fu. Thank you to all the interns who are here, which is um, me and Brian. And it's time to do another Comics First send-off. Here it goes. <laughs>